Hey, before we kick off year three of the podcast, I'd just like to start by thanking, as always, JSM Music and the executive producer of this show, Jeff Fiorello, who's been with me every step of the way. And I'd also like to send a special shout out to the team at Personal Music who hosted this episode in Miami. If you're looking for audio production or sound design, definitely check out Personal Music. Those guys do some great work. Okay, welcome to another season of the Talking to Ourselves podcast. I'm Omid Farhang, CCO at Momentum. My guest today, Fernando Machado, Global Chief Marketing Officer of Burger King. In just a handful of years, Fernando has led some of the most famous, awarded, and beloved campaigns of all time, including McWhopper, Whopper Neutrality, and of course, Whopper Detour, winner of the Titanium Grand Prix at Cannes. Under Fernando's leadership, Burger King has been honored as Client of the Year at every major award show, most recently Creative Brand of the Year at Cannes in 2019. Prior to joining BK, Fernando worked his way up at Unilever for almost two decades, starting as an intern and culminating with the groundbreaking Dove Beauty Sketches, which was the 2013 Titanium Grand Prix winner. Fernando was the first to be awarded two separate times by Adweek as Grand Brand Genius, He's been personally recognized by the Art Directors Club as Marketer of the Year, by Business Insider as the number one most innovative CMO, by AdAge as top 50 most creative people in business, and by both Forbes and Fast Company's top 100 most creative people in business. Go to any speech or conference where they're talking about the future of marketing and creative disruption, and they're talking about this guy. This is Fernando Machado and I talking to ourselves. I've been looking especially forward to this because I am one of a small handful of people who have a sort of distinctive relationship with you, uh, and that's people who worked on Burger King at CPB in the mid two thousands. You don't know most of us, but we know you, and we've well, I watched know many you. Of you guys. Well, you've probably met a lot of us over the years because we've sort of we've watched you closely. And f- when we first saw you arrive and the early work that you did, I think we looked on with curiosity. And then as the years have gone by, mm. it's just been sort of admiration okay. at the ability to sort of take the legacy and run a, with it. I was always a big fan of the work from uh, from Crispin. And uh, it's one of the reasons I came to work for Burger King, because like, I saw greatness. I saw how great the brand could be. And the work was not great, like uh, in the four or five years, I yeah. don't even know, uh, before I, I joined. And uh, and I remember, I mean, I know all that work. Like, and I, I remember growing up, looking up at that work. So when I came, I reached out to Russ Klein. I reached out to Rob Riley. I re- reached out to Tiffany. I reached out to Andrew Keller. Um, Bogoski was out, right? Yeah. Um, uh, I reached out to, uh, to um, uh, just like everyone that like I knew was like uh, on that, like uh, on, on that phase. To, to to learn and, and to understand like how did you manage to do that? How did you manage to do what was the brief for Whopper Freakout? What was the brief for Whopper Virgins? How did you come up with like Whopper Sacrifice? Uh, how did you come up with chicken fries? And and why did you bring the king back? And like all those things, you know what I mean? Like I know I have like I think I we could do like a TV show. By the way, that's a good idea. Uh, do like a, a whole like sixty minute off how Crispin encapsulated lightning in a bottle, like, uh, on that time, yeah. you know, like, and how you guys were, like, in a row uh, doing stuff. So when I came, I think the ambition was, like, let's do something that gets close to that. And I think that if, accompli- if you manage to, to achieve that ambition, we'll, we'll be in a, good, in a good place. It's a very interesting expression of your relationship to your own ego, though, because I think... You know, if Burger King is known for have it your way, I think the CMO tagline in general would be like, do it your way. 
And for you to show up and say, of course, we're going to take this into new territories and hopefully achieve new heights, but we don't have to start from scratch. Yeah, but like the the, the world has changed, right? I mean, um, I think that back then when Crispy was doing that work, um, there was not much, many brands like playing with purples. Um, there was not like um, uh, the digital was starting, you know, like a sub seven chicken was a website. Yeah. Right. I mean, imagine how big sub seven chicken could have been if it had done been done in social media, which didn't exist like uh, when it was done. Um, and, uh, and and in many things, you guys were completely ahead of your time. Like think about King's Games. Right. I mean, no one was thinking gaming. You guys created the number one gaming unit sold for the year on Xbox. Um, and today, everyone is investing on gaming and esports and all that. This is more than 10 years ago, right? I yeah. mean, I think... Oh, um, easily. Yeah. And uh, uh, if you think about uh, uh, Warper Sacrifice, Warper Sacrifice predicted that the value of a friend on Facebook would be low in the future, right? I right. Mean, but in the beginning, it wasn't. I remember when I collected 30 friends uh, on Facebook, and, and I remember how I think at some point when you unfriended someone, it would show on your newsfeed, right? I mean, right. it was a big deal. And now, who cares, right? Uh, and But you guys did that, like, again, more than 10 years ago. So um, to me, it's like um, the brand has been in the marketplace since 1954, you know, I've been there for six years. Uh, that's less than 10%. So it's like a drop in the ocean. Yeah, it's incredible to sort of mine the lessons of that era to forge this new legacy that's all your own. We'll work our way back up to that. I like to start every uh, episode with the same question, which is where are you from and what did your parents do? I am uh, Brazilian. Um, you probably can tell that because I have this funny accent. Like I, I can tell someone is Brazilian when they speak English like miles away. I think we all like have the same exact <laughs> accent. Um, I grew up uh, in Brazil. You basically grew up at Unilever and, and worked your way up. Looking back, is there a key lesson or principle on marketing or maybe just on professionalism that mm. you were really uh, intentional about carrying over when you took the job at Burger King? I, I think many. I think that uh, I, I studied mechanical engineering. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I took an internship in Unilever. I used to work, I worked for two years in a factory uh, in Brazil on the shop floor working on quality assurance for packaging. Um, and then uh, it was the first time I've heard the word marketing was during uh, that job. And I thought it was interesting, this concept of you can, you can exercise your artsy side. And I always had an artsy side. At the same time, you, you need to have, like, a, some background in business or be good with numbers. And I was good with numbers. So I thought, hey, um, what if I go to marketing? And uh, they were crazy enough to allow me to do that. So I moved to marketing uh, three, four, five, six, 1997, 1998. And, uh, and everything I've learned in marketing up to six years ago was Unilever. Uh, and I was lucky enough to have some really good coaches and bosses. Sometimes my coach was not even my boss, uh, who who were able to uh, to basically like teach everything, if not like most of the things I know uh, when it comes to marketing. You know, like uh, I think I've learned at early age, uh, uh, working that marketing is about the, the the logic and the magic. It's not just the data and the numbers. You need to have criteria you need to to have like an emotional side and and see beyond 
uh, just what the numbers are showing you. Everyone has the same number, so if you don't have that, you'll probably be doing average, ordinary work. Uh, I, 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 I've learned how to appreciate great creative and, and develop my own criteria. Like from the from early age, like uh, uh, I started to learn what great looked like, even though I didn't know how to do it. Right. But like I was, I was aspiring to do uh, a great work. Uh, uh, I've learned how to manage teams and, and to lead teams, how to work close together with like our creative partners. All that uh, I think was fundamental uh, in terms of building um, a, a strong like toolkit that I could use. Uh, when I moved to uh, to Burger King six years ago. Yeah. We talked about it a little bit, but let's just set the scene a little bit. You joined six years ago. What are you walking into at Burger King? Uh, what is your sort of excitement versus hesitation quotient yeah. as you take that job? So I was in New York for 18 years, yeah. uh, if I recall correctly. And I left probably on my best year <laughs> in Unilever. Uh, I was VP, global VP for the Dove brand. Uh, we had an amazing 2013 uh, we did real beauty sketches. We left Khan that year with 24 Lions. Uh, the, brand, the brand was flying, uh, like we were winning market share. The brand was growing. Everyone was happy. The relationship with Ogilvy was great. Um, but I was there for 18 years. And, and, and for the first time during those 18 years, I was not itching to do the next thing, mm-hmm. you know, which felt weird, right? I mean, because, like, I always was very kind of, like, ambitious with my career progression, but I was not itching to do my next job. So I thought that maybe it was time to to look outside. Um, so uh, when thinking about looking outside, I thought to, to make it uh, uh, worth it, uh, it would need to be something completely different than what I was doing. So I thought about technology, uh, and I thought about brands that <clears throat> I was like a big fan of the work, but they were probably not doing as great work at that time. Uh, and Burger King was top of that list yeah. because of the work from Crispin, um, because I, I was like I grew up admiring uh, the, the the stuff that Burger King did around like 2006, 2007, and uh, and and I knew some of the folks uh, on Burger King. So I called Burger King. Uh, Burger King never called me. I called uh, the, the the president for North America, who was a who is a friend. Uh, we studied together. We did MBA on the same school, and uh, and I called him, and he laughed at first because like. After, I mean, if, if you're talking to someone who has been 18 years on the job, it's unlikely that this person is really going to leave, right? I mean, that was my first and only job. Um, but I was serious about it, and uh, and I thought I could add value to uh, to those guys. Uh, like, I know that it sounds like uh, I diverted a bit from your question, but I think it's important to understand that background because uh, when I came, um, uh, the, the, the brand was not doing so much great work. And, uh, and the challenge was, like, how can we uh, uh, galvanize the whole company around uh, our brand positioning? Uh, and how can we step up uh, the design, restaurant image, uh, product development, uh, the campaigns, like everything. Every touch point needed, uh, needed help. So I walked in on an environment that th- there was no, not so many marketeers, uh, especially in comparison to uh, Unilever. I worked out, uh, I, I entered an environment that um, almost like forgot what great looked like in terms of creative because everyone who was there uh, or 95% of the people who were there, they were not there during the crisp in time. Right. 
And in the background of people were just different. There were lots of people from consulting, from banking, like more like a financial quantitative background than what I would call like brand development uh, <coughs> and marketing. So uh, it, it was like, um, it was like uh, I think the biggest challenge has been um, how to help shape the culture uh, of the company and how can we uh, ignite a brand uh, that once was great um, and, and, prop and, and, and link great creative work to results so that people start to, be, to, to believe more uh, in the power of the brand and the power of creativity. So it, it was tricky because uh, the environment was very different than, um, than, uh, than the one I was used to work on. Uh, it was difficult because I had to rebuild my credibility. I mean, um, in Unilever, I was there for 18 years. I mean, we, we've done uh, some of the most uh, famous campaigns for the company, and the business results were there. So um, people knew me internally, right? Uh, and coming to BK, no one knew me. Uh, so who is this guy who's trying to do some crazy stuff uh, and different things? Uh, and why, like, why we're doing that? I mean, can't we just do, like, bread and butter stuff? Okay. I mean, people are not articulated that way, obviously, but uh, it's a natural thing, right? I mean, it's normal. I was like a, 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 like a, a, a different animal uh, arriving uh, to that company. So it took some time to build credibility, to build alliances, for me to learn how to influence the corporation, for me to uh, uh, learn uh, the fast food market, which is very different than uh, than consumer goods, um, and uh, and gradually we started to do better work, better work. Well, one thing I find really striking about what you've done in your six years is the lack of what we would call perfectly matching luggage. You know, at, at the same time that you're explaining net neutrality using Whoppers or taking on McDonald's in a really unexpected, disruptive way. At that same time, maybe the message on TV is all about pushing a very hard retail message about a, a limited time deal. Do you think sometimes brands underestimate the public's um, ability to hold two different thoughts about a brand in their head at the same time? Yeah, I think that like I, I think that that's how pop culture moves. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like uh, what people are talking today um, it's different than what people are, will be talking tomorrow, and it's probably different than what people were, were talking yesterday. Uh, I think we are bombarded by information all the time, um, and um, and things move really, really, really fast. So um, the, the way like uh, the way we do the work, sure, like uh, we do have work that's kind of like more tactical, more like moving the business. I mean, uh, as I said, QSR is almost like a retail. Uh, business is yeah. super competitive, very promotional. Uh, I need to drive traffic, meeting people going to the restaurants. Uh, if you turn the TV on in the US, you're going to see deals from every single brand uh, that's on that space. And and if you're not as competitive, it will hurt you, you know, because that's how the, the market moves. We Of course, we try to do even the retail kind of like work or the promotional work more interesting, right? I mean, but but like uh, it's a machine, yeah. And we need to come up with copy and and, and come up with ideas like uh, all the time. So sometimes it's more tactical, sometimes it's more strategical. Then uh, no matter how good or bad that work is, and we're always trying to make it better, uh, we try to layer on top of that uh, work that's more like uh, uh, brand building <coughs> or brand defining. Um, and even when we touch on different topics like net neutrality or bullying 
or peace or like uh, Halloween, uh, it, we always try to do with a very clear set of values and personality. Yeah. So because if you don't, uh, it will not feel genuine to the brand uh, and people are not going to associate that stuff to the brand. Even if it's interesting, they are not going to know it came from Burger King. So to me, on that type of work, success looks like people saying, man, did you see that? I mean, only Burger King could have pulled that off. Uh, and, and our fans, uh, they they love that, you know, and they engage yeah. uh, uh, with the campaigns. Like, I think that Whopper the Tour is an amazing example of that, right? I mean, we, we did a promotion that if you, if you open our, if you download our app, put your credit card on the app, uh, you drive to uh, McDonald's, and you can order a Whopper from McDonald's for one cent, and then you need to drive back to Burger King uh, to get, like, the, uh, the Whopper. Like, uh, that would, like, break every single rule in the book in terms of, like, adding friction to the user uh, or, like, uh, creating a, a complicated UX or flow. Um, but reality is that that's one of the campaigns that has the best ROI ever uh, 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 for this brand. Yeah. Uh, and we tried to do download the app, get a free Whopper, and it didn't work. Right. And, by the way, everyone tried to do that. Chick-fil-A tried to do that, Wendy's, McDonald's. It doesn't work. Uh, so, uh, and it worked, and that idea works well for us. I don't think that if another brand had done that, it would have the same level of success. It works well for us because after so many years of doing, uh, uh, playing with this approach, that's what people expect. Yeah, you guys have earned the right to take extraordinary risk. Yeah. And in fact, you probably have the opposite challenge of 99% of brands, which is figuring out how to top that risk in yes. a way that remains true to the brand. And we'll get to that. But before we get there, you know, I've heard you say in public speaking appearances that the biggest risk for marketers is not taking one. Can you just explain a little of what you mean by that? Yeah, that's a phrase from Mark Zuckerberg, I think. It, it, it's like uh, biggest risk is not taking any risk at all. Um, the, the thing is, um, um, if, if you know what your brand is about, uh, and if you have the finger in the pulse of pop culture, like our creative partners have, um, you'll be able to come up with ideas and insert your brand uh, in, in the conversation, like, uh, all the time. Uh, and some of these ideas, and the ones that tend to work the best for us, they are, they are like, a bit out there, you know? Like, and, and, and some people feel uncomfortable uh, with that type of approach. Reality is that we also feel uncomfortable uh, with that type of approach. I see lots of people talking about fearless marketing, and, like, we're not fearless at all. Like I'm shitting my pants. Like every you time you exude a certain <laughs> you exude a certain fearlessness. The the thing is, like we if we are not afraid, we probably don't do it. Right. You know what I mean? Like I think that the trick is not to be fearless. I think that the trick is to do it even when you are afraid. Like we like uncertainty. We like that we are afraid. We like when we don't know how to do something. I mean that probably only means that it's something new. Uh, I mean if, if I'm not afraid, it's because I've done that before, uh, or I've seen it before. Uh, and the stuff that works well for us, it's usually it's stuff that has never been done before. Um, and, and that will make you uncomfortable uh, and it will bring uncertainty. Like, again, what about the tour? When the agency was presenting, they said, OK, so we will need to geofence uh, all McDonald's restaurants. I'm like, guys, they have like 14,000. Like, I don't have geofencing on my restaurants. How the hell am I going to, you know? But, like, we like that. Right. Great. So, um, yeah, I, I've seen, like, many times clients, like, uh, listening to an idea and then 
brainstorming everything wrong that can happen uh, to that idea, and that idea usually ends up like dead, right? We like we like when something is really hard, uh, when um, when uh, uh, when it will be hard to convince people internally, when we don't know how to do it, uh, when we need to like go hurdle and hurdle. Uh, it, it's not easy to pull that stuff off, but. That's the type of stuff that works well for us. And and the thing is, and I find risk uh, a concept that's very relative because to me, the biggest risk is to do a weak TV spot and spend $20 million uh, in media plan. Like many of the ideas that we are talking about or the ideas that get recognized by creative awards and that drive strong results for us, they are really not that expensive because they are such a blockbuster in terms of PR and talkability that we end up like spending less uh, in media. And then if something doesn't work, usually from my experience, the worst that happens is nothing. Like no one spoke about it. Uh, it didn't pick up, it didn't get much pick up from press. Um, and, and by the way, I didn't spend much money to do it anyway. So the downside is, is small. Like, uh, uh, and, and by the way, for most marketing campaigns, uh, the outcome the most, especially the ordinary ones, the outcome, the most common outcome is nothing. So I would rather uh, swallow my fear um, and, uh, and and try to do something different. You know, you mentioned the idea of, hey, one way that we at least lower the pressure is, you know, in some cases, these aren't super expensive ideas. And so, hey, if the worst thing that happens is that the world doesn't acknowledge the existence of this, then we move on and we do another one and we do another one. Um, when you do Andy Warhol on the Super Bowl and you're paying for that media, did that feel different to you? It does. But it felt, it feels different every time because we are chasing different. You know what I mean? Right. Like a, The Andy Warhol idea was something that we always wanted to leverage that film. You know, like how many, uh, what are the chances that you have a film of Andy Warhol interacting with your brand. In our case, he was eating uh, the Whopper, yeah. right? It's beautiful. I remember the first time I've shown this to one of the guys on my team, Marcelo Pasqua. He's the head of, he was the head of uh, global marketing, and now he's the head of marketing for North America. And um, he cried, like, when he saw the film. I'm not joking, because we, we work with this level of passion. But the guy cried when he saw that film. And... Um, and we thought, like, we always called the film The Silent Assassin because it's silent. Yeah. And we thought, what is the best way, like, what's the best way to launch this? You know, like, well, maybe if you, if you have The Silent Assassin, you should throw it in the middle of the most cluttered, most noisy, full of explosion, car chase uh, environment yeah. that exists in, in media, which is the Super Bowl. So we went all in and we put 45 seconds, not even 30 uh, because we felt that it had to be more than 30 so that people start to get bothered by the silence. Um, and we went all in. And, 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 and maybe if that were an idea that we were trying to pull off on the first year of our journey, it would be impossible. But since it was like the fourth, fifth year of our journey and the whole company understand uh, like the type of brand we are and what type of uh, advertising works for us, we were able to galvanize franchisees, our CEO, CFO, like everyone uh, behind that. So uh, it was very successful in terms of like getting uh, talkability. It drove our ad recall and ad awareness for the brand to like record high levels. Uh, we end up like selling more products. So it, it had a really 
positive effect. Uh, and, and one year, I mean, it's kind of like the one-year anniversary uh, of that idea this week, right? I mean, we're in Super Bowl week here. And uh, and people still talk about it. Yeah. You know, like, and if I ask you, like, what are the other ads that were on the last Super Bowl? You'll probably remember Game of Thrones uh, because it was pretty cool, like uh, the, the partnership between HBO yeah, and, and, and Budweiser and Bud Light. And you probably remember Indie War. I cannot remember anything else, uh, to be honest with you. Um so what's the residual value of that? How do you calculate that? Uh, it's something that you need to believe uh, that works for your brand and that will have an impact, hopefully on the short term, but especially on the long run uh, in terms of building differentiation for uh, for your brand. Yeah, you brought it up a couple of times now, this idea of not just socializing the brand and the, way, and the direction of the brand's disruption in culture, but also socializing it and building it up and building the case for it internally and with franchisees and not everybody is going to be as comfortable with ideas like this as others you've got agency partners who fit a certain personality type and then you've got colleagues who often fit a very different personality type as you've mentioned i imagine a big part of your job is just mastering a certain kind of bilingualism depending on what room you're in throughout the day for for sure and um, um i think that like um like look i mean when when i started my career I thought that to be very successful in marketing, you would need to work really hard, which probably applies to any profession, um, that you would need to have a very strong and good, good criteria, uh, and I, uh, cre- especially creative criteria and design criteria, which not everyone has. Um, and, uh, and if you had those two things, you work really hard and you had criteria, you would end up like doing great work. Many years after, uh, I listed those two things as critical. A third thing probably became equally as important as those two because I started to see lots of people out there that worked really hard, had great criteria, but they were not able to get shit done. Right. You know, like, or they were not able to get stuff out with the frequency that they probably deserved based on uh, 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 how hard they worked and, and, and how good they were in terms of identifying briefing, identifying great creative and all that. And then the third thing is your ability to influence the organization you are in. You know what I mean? Like, I can work my ass off and I can, like, uh, uh, have an amazing criteria. If I cannot convince my CEO that we need to do something or if I cannot galvanize all the counters to deploy uh, an idea, um, I will probably fail, like, on the medium uh, and especially on, on, the, on the long run because things are not going to, to happen. So, um, being able to define uh, the strategic priorities and align that, being able to uh, create assets and bring ideas to life that will help you deliver against those priorities uh, and, and find ways to measure that so it becomes less subjective uh, in terms of like uh, the discussion that you're going to have uh, and, 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 and like really trusting your instinct and pushing stuff out and knowing when to pick up a fight and when to, to give in, um, I, I think are really critical uh, if, you, if, you, if you want to do uh, great creative work. We went pretty in-depth on a previous episode with Ari Helper at FCB about the genesis of Whopper Detour. Yep. Um, and I really do encourage anyone interested in the real sort of nitty-gritty journey of an award-winning idea to read the Adweek piece you wrote last May entitled The Inside Story of the Burger King Campaign that Changed the Brand's Entire Outlook on Marketing, unquote. So that's a hell of a headline. What was the change in outlook? 
I mean, Whopper the Tour is like a, the most awarded campaign in the history of Burger King, which I still like. I still find like uh, impressive. Really, like I cannot believe. Like we won three Grand Prix in Cannes. We won yeah. Titanium Grand Prix. We won. I think it was Mobile and Direct, uh, which is crazy. Um, and and it was like and it's an idea that I love so much because um, it's an idea that uses technology. But not new technology. I mean, geofencing is not new. Like a mobile order and payment is not new. Uh, so the idea was what made the whole thing big. Yeah. Because it's not like we are using a futuristic technology. That, no, 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 no. It was available for years. Uh, but the idea, the creative idea, unlocked the power uh, uh, of that. And, and it was such a moonshot uh, that uh, helped us learn many things that we continue to use now. So now I have the geolocation of all McDonald's restaurants. So I can literally like send a push notification to someone is driving to a McDonald's. I mean, if you have our app, or I can, uh, or, or I can like uh, uh, give you an offer to like we, we can do so many things. It's more valuable than knowing when they're at a Burger King. Yes, I mean, it's, yeah. but it's more valuable than uh, than you think it will be when you start to work on the idea. You know, and that's why I encourage so much the team to come up with these moonshots. You know, like if you think about how, like, the man landed in the moon, right? Um, yeah, great, but the, the the advancements in technology that were created uh, on that mission, uh, they are they were like uh, they have a, a, a an impact that's way bigger than just landing in the moon. So uh, that's why moonshots like Whopper the Tour or like Traffic Jam Whopper. Or like many other things that we do, uh, they are um, they are so helpful. You end up like learning things that you didn't even know <laughs> you right. didn't know, um, uh, and, and that's why Wapa the tour kind of like open like a whole new uh, uh, avenue of like uh, ideas around tech, uh, and, uh, and and helped us become better at CRM and many other things. Yeah, the other reason I want people to read that ad week piece you wrote, taking people through the journey of Wapa detours. You know, if you work at an agency, you know all too well that, you know, it's not that hard to have a great first meeting. It's not that hard to put together some exciting slides that get people kind of impregnated with excitement. The hard part is what happens next. And your article really goes through what ends up being an almost year-long journey of meeting and coming back and altering and kind of – we get excited and then, you know, and then there's a hesitation around one component and people think for several more weeks. There's so many – points along the journey where the agency could have lost enthusiasm, where you or your team could have lost enthusiasm. And with ideas like this, I've always said it's like it's like milk on the counter. You know, it's like yeah. they we get bored with our own idea and we forget true. what was exciting about it in the first place. It's how, really how do you guard against the loss of enthusiasm? Uh, I, it's hard. You know, like m- most of like a good idea for me is an idea on the street. Like we are doers. Like we want to get stuff out. Right. So usually... Uh, the lead time between having an idea and get it out, it's for us, is really, really fast. <clears throat> like, uh, Wapa the Tour is an exception. And, and what made the timeline for Wapa the Tour long was not our inability to approve it or, uh, or to invest on it. It was I, ha- I needed my app to be working um, with, uh, uh, in a reliable way. Right. You know? And the guys were still coding the app when we, were, uh, when we got the idea first. So uh, my our speech to uh, FCB New York was, guys, we love it. We will do it. 
uh, bear with us because it will take some time because the, the timeline for the app is like for, for launching a year from now. I think that uh, many agencies that are on the, re the receiving end of a, a message like that, it's kind of like a, a, a bucket of cold water uh, on your head. What are you talking about? Like, you're going to do a year from now? No way. Like, uh, the client is not like, yeah, yeah this one is That's gone. just code Next. for no. Understood. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but in our case, like, we love the idea. And we told them from the beginning, we will do it, guys. Um, and just bear with us and let's continue to work. And as we continue to work, the idea continues to evolve. I think that, yes, there is a risk that if you take too long to do something, uh, you lose love. Uh, and that happens to me and it happens to my team. Um, and, uh, uh, and that's why I think it's important that you get the idea out there quick. You know, like get it out. Yeah. Go to the next one. Get it out. Go to the next one. And if you're in the start, in the beginning of a journey like that, uh, getting ideas out and going to the next one, uh, you're also building the muscle of the team and you get better and better and better at developing ideas like that and, and getting stuff out. So I, I, w I really wouldn't recommend sitting uh, on an idea for too long. I get very impatient when my team and I are sitting on an idea. Um, uh, if the tool was different because we're not sitting on it, you're just like waiting for the app uh, uh, to, be, uh, to be reliable. Right. Um, but like, uh, don't, don't do that. I mean, the whole organization, you get bored. I, and one of my bosses used to say that, like sometimes the, the, the marketing team gets bored of an idea uh, even before consumers notice the idea exists. You know, and totally. it's so true. You're you're known for excitability and decisiveness. My friend Tony Calathara, who used to yeah. work at David, told me that he would they would sometimes present ideas to you, and before they were even done explaining the first paragraph of the idea, you would just pick up the phone and start calling people yeah. to start like, hey, I start I, let's skip people. the yes, we're already doing it. Yeah, no, like yeah. It, it happens, you know. And Tony was. Uh, uh, we, we worked together when he was here at David Miami. Yeah. Uh, we did some really cool stuff together. Great guy. I think he's in New York right he's now. He's at 72, I think. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and uh, uh, missed that guy. And uh, uh, and it's true. You know, like, um, I, like it's funny because, like, if, if I had to explain to my grandmother um, what I do, it wouldn't sound that exciting, to be honest. You know what I mean? Like, she would come like, what do you do? Like, so do you come up with these ideas? No, I don't. So you film the idea. No, I don't do that either. So you conceptualize the idea on paper. No, I don't do that. So what the hell do you do? Like, well, I kind of like help choose what idea I think is going to work. And then I convince people that it's okay to go with it. That doesn't sound very exciting or like something to be uh, glorified. But that's kind of like, what we do, you know, it's it's better than that. I'm like, it's way better than yeah, that. Like yeah. I try to help the guys, and, and and we bounce ideas off each other all the time. And uh, and I would like to believe that through that process we help make the ideas better. Um, but like there is a lot of convincing and 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 and, and fighting and um, holding like a big flag uh, as the brand uh, uh, steward and. Um, uh, and pushing to do what you think is right, uh, it, it's it's really uh, harder than it sounds because because of the type of ideas we do, they make people uncomfortable. Um, and um, and uh, and fortunately, I work uh, with lots of people, including my my, my bosses, 
uh, who who believe on what you're doing. And um, and today I think it's much easier, not easy, but much easier to make things happen than what it was before. Yeah, you've earned that trust. Yeah, and only gets better. Yeah. You know, there are complexities of the business unrelated to marketing. Um, you're living every day that your agency partners maybe always can't fully appreciate or even comprehend. As a CMO, is it ever difficult to let go of the baggage of that complexity as you walk into a room to review some work? Um, I like maybe it some like when we are going through a, a problem that has nothing to do with advertising um, that can cause us to be like in a bad mood or um, or be a bit airy uh, on the way uh, on the way we are thinking. But like I, I like so much like the, the the creative side of life and in the work that we do with our with our agency partners that usually like uh, when I go to like a meeting when creative is going to be presented or a PPM or whatever, um, it's probably like the bright spot of my day. You yeah. know what I mean? Like so, it's not that I have to leave this stuff behind or, or make an effort for that to happen. Uh, it's more like. I become automatically in, a, in like a better mood, uh, and and I focus on that moment. I try to carpe diem that meeting as much as I can, yeah. uh, and and not all creative meetings go well. And we we also discuss with our agencies like uh, uh, we are paying the ass uh, uh, to be honest. Um, people like lots of people come and say like, hey, we love to work with you guys. You guys are the perfect client. I don't think there is such thing as a perfect client, and, and they probably only say that because they don't work with us. Like we are paying the ass uh, in terms of like pushing the agency, not liking stuff. Like imagine how annoying it is when you come present something and then someone of the team says, "Well, that was done by this brand in 1986." You know, like we are that type of client. You know, yeah. so it, it, it's tough. Uh, it's tough, but with love. Um, uh, when we argue and we want to discuss behind closed doors and when the door opens, we are one team. Um, we need that, you know, like yeah. to convince other people we need to be a united front. Uh, and I think that we have that type of relationship with our key uh, agency partners. Some clients like to be sold to. They like the big presentation. They like to feel that passion. Other clients I've found are allergic to that salesmanship. Where do you sit? Well, I mean, if someone comes and does like an awesome presentation, I'm definitely not going to complain. But um, I would rather see an idea with a shitty drawing on a napkin and run to do it tomorrow than for the agency to spend hours and hours and hours. Uh, I prefer to not pay that fee uh, of the hours and hours and hours uh, of building a key, beautiful keynote deck uh, with a designer uh, to convince me about something that you could have just given me a call and explain and we'll do it, right. you know. So most of the um, most of the presentations that we have are more on the scrappy side than on the um, you're going to get like a, a, a D&D uh, for design, right. the, the, the deck. Yeah. You, you and Burger King come up a lot in other client meetings. Uh, clients speak of their admiration for Burger King. Agencies use Burger King anecdotally to push clients to be more courageous. I feel like everyone knows the right thing to say. Everyone says it's got to be disruptive. Everyone says we want to make famous work. And yet so few brand, brands come close. Where most often is the breakdown, in your opinion? I think, well, I mean, if I were, uh, if I had another brand, uh, the first thing that I would try to do is to work with my main creative partner to define very clearly 
uh, what the positioning of the brand is, what are the values of personality and all that. I think that's the starting point uh, in the journey. If you don't know that, you end up like anywhere. Mm -hmm. There is no direction. So after doing that, I would make sure that I give some very clear brief, clear and inspiring briefs to the agency. And um, look, I mean, I need to be honest with you, you, you need to, uh, you, if you want to do great work, you need to be ready to pick up some fights. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and you need to be ready to maybe every now and then have lunch by yourself in the cafeteria. Uh, like, uh, it's not like, hey, I want to do some great work and you automatically become the most popular person in the building and everyone is clapping when you when you walk. Right. It's really not like that. You know, like, uh, it, uh, you need to have conviction. Uh, you need to trust your instincts. You need to have great creative partners. Uh, and you need to push stuff through. Uh, if it were easy, everyone would be doing it. Yeah. You know, like the theory is very easy to uh, to, to to explain, uh, but in the real world, it's a lot of grinding and um, and like honestly, I I put my career on the line like a couple of times. You know, I'm not just saying that. You know, like I've said the phrase, like guys, we will do this, and if it doesn't work, you can sack me. Uh, and, and if it works, that's all good. You don't have to apologize or anything. But like, there is no downside. Like, if it doesn't work, I will I leave, and it's good. You'll find another thing. Yeah, that's fine. Like, uh, but I prefer to leave for trying to do great work than to stay doing average stuff. Right. You know, like, uh, uh, so uh, I think that people just have to um, either work on a place that they feel uh, they can change the place and the culture and make it uh, the, the place and the culture believe more uh, that a stronger creative output will deliver better results. Uh, or if they are already on that environment, they just need to face their own fears uh, and take the leap of faith. It helps to have a creative partner that you trust and respect uh, and, and get stuff out yeah. and learn from it and do it better next time, do it better next time. The cliche of, of the agency creative, and, and I can attest to this myself when I was a younger creative, is just sort of lamenting the fearfulness of clients. They're too scared to do this. You know, this they're, this, they're not serious about buying an idea. They just want to move the food around the plate and keep their jobs. And you know what? Now that I have young children and a family and responsibilities of my own, I understand in a more sympathetic to the fear associated with an idea that puts your career on the line than maybe I was when, you know, I was 27 with a $500 apartment. Yeah. So I'm more sympathetic to that. But you point out an important irony, which is the thing you fear the most is the thing that you that will definitely happen when you accept mediocrity over and over yeah. and over again. Yeah. yeah. Look, I Im imagine um, it that was never a risk. But imagine uh, on my first project, Burger King, uh, one of the first projects, which was Proud Whopper, which was somewhat controversial. Mm -hmm. But imagine that had gone terribly wrong. It didn't, but imagine. Um, and I got fired for doing Proud Whopper. Man, I can tell you, I would get a job in less than six hours uh, because there would be people who would value that, right. you know. Uh, now, imagine if I had spent my three years uh, of Burger King just doing retail spots, with celebrities, like lots of people internally uh, would be happy uh, about that because that's kind of like advertising. That's how that's how it goes. Um, and but I would probably not be on this podcast. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so I prefer to uh, 
try to do something unique, different, because I know that um, because I know that um, greatness requires that, you know. Like, uh, and, and I and, and I think life is too short for you not to aim to do something great. I I, I think that for the people who quote Burger King and uh, uh, and, and that say that say that they want to do work similar to Burger King, uh, make sure that you have like a, a creative partner that that you trust, uh, and maybe try trusting them you know what i mean like when they come up with you uh, with an idea that makes you uncomfortable like I, I, we trust so much in our key creative partners that uh, just as an example well, like warp and neutrality which you you mentioned right i mean when that first idea was presented to me i said guys i mean this makes no sense i don't understand i didn't even knew what net neutrality was sorry it's the truth uh they 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 insisted they explained to me, they explained that net neutrality was trending more than Star Wars, and it was the same week that the Star Wars move, movie was announced. And, and they showed the, the, the trends map on Twitter with, like, net neutrality, like, everywhere. And I was like, I don't get it. I don't get it. And they explained and explained, and I, and I don't get it. And they continued to insist to a point that I said, guys, I don't get it. I don't think it's going to work. Here's the money. Do it. Wow. <laughs> you know? Because it was not that much money anyway. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, like, these guys are so good. It was Hick and Juan, uh, who are at GUT. Back then they were in David, Miami. And uh, and we did. It was amazing. Uh, and when I present, I don't take the credit. I say, guys, I didn't understand this idea. I thought it sucked. I thought it wouldn't work. And it was awesome. It's the most shared idea in social media from Burger King ever. They annoyed it into existence. Yes, but, like, uh, but that's what I mean by trust. You know, trust so much that you do even when you think it will be a total flop. That's the level of trust, yeah? So instead of thinking, hey, I want you to do work like Burger King, um, fine, that's maybe the final output, but it will be easier if you think, let me trust like Burger King does. You know what I mean? Like, let me like uh, take a risk like Burger King does. Like, uh, what was the last time you said a yes for something that make you extremely uncomfortable? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, I think it's funny because like, um, some ideas that we are doing now, for instance, <clears throat> which I'm in love with. I cannot talk about them because they didn't come out yet. But um, I can see how that idea would have been killed a million times based on what was presented to us. You need to have like a massive degree of abstraction uh, to envision how this thing can turn out. Uh, else it's going to get like, like I, we can brainstorm and I can give you like a million reasons why we shouldn't do this. You know, that's very easy to do. You know, it's very easy to do that lame client feedback that starts by saying one thing positive and then turning like the idea apart with a hundred billion reasons why it's bad uh, or what can go wrong, which is the most common uh, feedback. In our ideas, lots of things can go wrong, but if it goes right and it tends to go right, it's a home run. So instead of like thinking, Let's do work like Burger King. Maybe think trust like Burger King. Take the risk like Burger King. Say yes uh, when your uh, when your uh, stomach is pushing you to say no because you are uncomfortable. And then maybe some ideas will be equal or maybe even better uh, than the ones that we are doing. I think a lot of uh, agencies would attest that it goes from let's be more like Burger King, and then the next step is the flawed one, which is okay. Now let's spend four months debating a tagline. Yeah. How much time do you spend thinking about taglines? I, I don't because um, I worked on Dove before, and Dove had no tagline. 
So, um, like, what's the tagline for Dove? Like, there isn't. So, I, I don't, I don't think that a brand requires a tagline uh, so that so that you build it. Uh, so, Burger King has like a your way uh, or have it your way. Most people think have it your way, but it's your way. Um, but like, I, I don't find that fundamental in terms of uh, building the brand. Or so, I spend zero time uh, discussing that. Yeah. Uh, your work makes everyone jealous. What work has made you jealous recently? Man, like I, I love our industry and like um, and um, I'm more than jealous, I, I know because I know so many people in the industry, I end up like getting happy uh, about this stuff. You know, like I think that the work that really puts a smile on my face and that I felt like, oh, my God, this is like next level um uh, New York Times, uh, double black pencil uh, last year. I think it was Grumpy in Craft um, or, or Film, one of the two. Don't quote me on that. I think it was Craft uh, in Cannes. Uh, I think it's amazing from uh, Droga 5. David Rubin is the CMO there. It's an ex-colleague from Unilever. Um, um, I think that the work that Nike is doing is undeniable, um, like great, you know, like... Uh, um, it, there is so much good work out there, like P&G, like every year does, does cool stuff. Uh, Unilever, like every now and then, comes up with something really cool. I love the Marmite stuff, uh, the, the Don't Spread the Hate, which was like print ad, which I think it was Gold Lion last year. Uh, but even before that, Marmite, for some reason, they always do cool stuff. And um, um, I love algae clowns. I could go on and on yeah. and on and on. But that's the thing. Like, look... I think whether you are in the client side or in the agency side, if you uh, if you want to do great work, you need to know great work. You know, not to copy. On the contrary, if I see anything that's similar to something that's already been done, we're probably not going to do it. Um, but you need to develop your criteria. You know what I mean? Like, I love this stuff. I know the directors. I have my bucket list of directors. And one day, I'll f- hopefully, I will film with Jonathan Glazer. One day, I will film with Spikey Jones. I will film with Michel Gondry. Like, uh, uh, and there are many others that already checked yeah. uh, um, uh, the box. Um, I have, like, my favorite spots from the old time, my favorite black and white spot. What is the campaign that I think should have been a Gold Lion or a Grand Prix? And it wasn't. That Sony Balls should have been a Grand Prix. And it wasn't. Um, um, I think that the BBH, uh, the Three Little Pigs, should have been the Grand Prix for that year in film. And it wasn't. Like, I think you need to understand that. Like, you need to know all black pencils, like, uh, in the world. You know, you should know what got a yellow pencil in every single year. Um, it's not about the award, but, like, it's um, it develops your advertising palette, you know what I mean? Like uh, in, in criteria, no one is born with that. You know, oh, this guy is really creative. You don't like you need to learn that you can be very creative from the start. But if you want to excel in advertising design, you need to study that thing. And, and, and no one is going to study unless you love it. Because it just sounds silly. You don't love. Why would you? And, and, and life is too short for you not to work on something that, that you love. Yeah. So um, all my guys and the agency guys that we work with, they are freaking obsessed about that stuff. You know what I mean? Like I know every single category and subcategory in Cannes. I know every single thing that won 
like you name it you know like with he can they have a they have a spotify playlist with songs from advertising and we play guess which ad is that you know what i mean like it's that level of like uh, anselmo hamos with whom i worked for a long time when he was at david when he was at ogilvy and now we work together at gut he he has the books from the from the one show uh, and, and you can tell like any ad and he will know which year, you know, like it's that level of obsession that will help you develop your criteria, develop your palette uh, and will definitely help you produce better work. You've been vocal about your role in making Burger King products healthier. Um, the Impossible Whopper has been sort of the most triumphant expression of that, but it feels like just to start. Do you have hope? that the industry is capable of making a meaningful change in this way? I, I think so. Like, I still remember, like, when um, when I was leaving Unilever and I went to my best friend in Unilever, um, the person who I used to, like, grab coffee all the time and uh, and gossip on the water cooler. Her name is Katrine. Uh, she, she left Unilever a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, I remember going to her and saying, like, hey, I'm, I'm leaving. And she was like, what? Uh, and I said, I'm going to Burger King. And she's like, why Why would you go and work for fast food? You know, like, uh, it's like you work for Dove, the most purposeful brand that we have. Why are you going there? Why don't you go to Whole Foods? Why don't you go to a startup? Why? And I'm like, look, I mean, I'm going there because I think I can go there and help the guys make a difference. You know, uh, if you look at the three brands that we have, uh, Burger King, Popeyes, Tim Hortons, we have more than 5 billion visitors, visits out of people like per year. You know, so if I can make like a small difference, uh, the multiplier by the scale makes it a big difference. So uh, we've been working a lot to uh, to create like a nutritional roadmap for the products, to, uh, which we have today. We, uh, we are working a lot in terms of cleaning up the ingredients that we use, meaning removing colors and flavors from artificial sources, removing uh, preservatives, removing MSG, removing high fructose corn syrup. Uh, we are working a lot around sustainability. You know, like uh, there are lots of things that we're doing partnerships with WWF. Uh, Plant-based burgers is an example uh, of that too. We are probably global leaders in plant-based burgers today. We yeah. launched in more than 40 countries. Right, I mean, it's all Europe. We have in Latin America. We have the U.S. It's doing well. So um, uh, there are the fast food, whether you like it or not, is here, and it's probably going to be here for a while. You know what I mean? Like uh, it offers a great equation between taste, value, and convenience to people. So we may as well work to make it better uh, and and make a real impact out there. Uh, and I think that. A lot of our efforts are focusing on that. Um, fortunately, I look, I mean, of course, I'm tracking our competitors and all that. And I, and I see other brands like uh, also moving into that direction. So um, I, I, I'm very, I'm Brazilian, so I'm optimistic about life and about things. Um, and I think that the industry is getting better. Uh, we are making a strong push to lead the charge. But fortunately, for everyone and for the planet, other brands are doing the same. Yeah. Um, and hopefully, like a year from now, if you're having a conversation, like even today, like uh, we removed colors and flavors from artificial source from all our burgers and sides in the U.S. We don't have MSG in any product, in any food product. We don't have hypertonic corn syrup in any food product. That was not the case two years ago. We haven't advertised that yet. 
Uh, but that's the, the truth. Like, same in Europe. And we are working to make that a reality like everywhere. Before I let you go, I just got to ask you about Popeyes. Yes. Okay, so around the end of last year, I start seeing you tweeting about Popeyes. Lots of tweets about Popeyes. And I'm thinking to myself, like, how magnanimous, how comfortable <laughs> this guy must be in his own skin to support a competitor. And then it dawns on me that Popeyes and Burger King are part of the same holding group. Yep. And you're technically also the CMO of Popeyes, even though you're more well known for being the CMO of Burger King. So I just have to ask you, like, how has it been with this kind of um, this meteoric rise in culture of Popeyes? How has it been to juggle and to love two brands that compete in many ways for similar market share? So we um, so Burger King is owned by Restaurant Brands International, right. which has three core brands, right? It's Burger King, Popeyes, and Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons is very famous in Canada. Right. We also have a presence here in the U.S. and in some other markets, but it's a Canadian, like, at, at heart. Yeah. Um, and from around mid of last year, I started to help uh, on Popeyes, so I became kind of like the, the CMO of the two brands. And more recently, I became the CMO for RBI, which is basically like I have the three brands on, uh, on my portfolio. Um Popeyes, I mean, it's an amazing brand. You know, like we acquired the brand like a couple of years ago. It was the last brand we acquired. So it was Burger King, then Tim's, uh, then Popeyes. And it's a brand that has a very cult following base. Uh, it was a bit niche, I would say, um, uh, in the U.S. Uh, it was a brand that we always felt there was a lot of potential for geographic expansion. Uh, and it has been great to come in, help the team, uh, like a sh make the position a sharper. Uh, we did whole work in terms of visual identity. Uh, we brought new agencies to the table. We had a very early win, big win, uh, with the chicken sandwich, which basically like, was the talk of the town. Like uh, during the during the back half of uh, uh, of last year, that drove like very strong results, uh, which helped us kind of like accelerate some of the changes that we wanted to do on the brand when it comes to design, image, advertising approach, uh, and, and all that. Um, I, try to, I, I try to compartmentalize, compartmentalize, is that even a word? You nailed it. Um, yes. Uh, things like uh, on, my, on my head. So I have a Popeye's team that sits in a different floor uh, than, the, than the BK team. The Tim Hortons team sits in, uh, um, uh, in Canada. Most of it sits in Canada. And, uh, uh, and it's a very strong team, you know, like I love the guys that work uh, on Popeyes. And, uh, and I think we've been doing some really cool stuff uh, in a different way than Burger King would. Uh, we've, we are getting as much talkability, uh, but with a different approach. Right. I end every one of these episodes with the same question. It's called the one that got away. And it's what is that idea that you loved it? It hits you in the heart right from the start, weeks or months or years passed, and for whatever reason, it just couldn't get made. It couldn't get produced. I'm thinking, unlike most of my other most of my other uh, guests who've come from the agency side, you may struggle with this question because it doesn't seem like you let many get away. So you may have at, at the Burger King level. So you may have to go back to Unilever, but it can be from any point in your career. What was the one that got away? Man, like um, it's funny was you have this question because every time I. I work with a, I go and work with a different brand, with, or I have a new brand on my portfolio. Um, usually, like on the first meeting that I have with the core agency, I ask a very similar question to them. 
I asked them, like, what was the idea that you really loved, but when you presented to us, we didn't do it? And I, I've seen some jams coming out of that, you know. I think that with BK, I cannot think of one, to be honest. Like, uh, there were many ideas that were presented to us that you, like, we do one idea out of a hundred ideas that are presented to us, but not because we are afraid or we can get it approved internally, but just because, like, uh, the, the creative bar, the ambition is, is very, very high. Right. And that's why we are such an annoying client, as, as I mentioned earlier. Um, so we don't, like, we don't leave any stone unturned, uh, to be honest. Popeyes is still early days, uh, so I need to go back to my Unilever days. You know, and uh, and I still remember like there was this when when his sketches was presented, okay. Uh, the the agents presented three ideas. One was not great, um, and there was sketches, and there was a print ad, yeah. Uh, and I loved both. Like, of course, the sketches was more powerful. The other one was just a, a piece of print that, if well executed, would look amazing. Um, and we produced it. Uh, we produced the print, uh, and I left, and that print was never saw the light of the day. I'm, I, I mean, I will not tell you what the print was because I still have hopes I was that say. one day this thing will come out because I think it's still relevant. Uh, and uh, and the guys from uh, Ogilvy Brazil and Anselmo from uh, from Gut, they know what I'm talking about. The idea was called. Real Beauty Inspires, uh, and that there, you on Ogilvy, London, uh, who still work on the brand, man, that's there, you know? <laughs> I paid that thing. I paid all the usage rights. We negotiated all the stuff. It's done, you know? Like, please get it out. It's awesome. Like, uh, if you get it out, uh, and it's at least not at least a silver, uh, you can call me, and, uh, and I will pay you a thousand bucks. Yeah, but if you get it out and it is a silver, then you pay me a thousand bucks. How 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 great of a deal is that? If you if you win, we all win. Yeah, it's an awesome print, and um and I wish that I still have hopes that will come out. You know, I've asked that question to over thirty people, and you're known for um, breaking new ground, and you just broke new ground by turning the one that got away into a wager. <laughs> it's a pitch. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, serious that the real beauty inspires. Ask, ask the guys internally. It's there. It's paid. Get it bucks. out. Uh, Fernando, while I have you cornered, I'll just end here. You know, one belief I hold very closely is this idea that creativity is an infinite and compounding resource. The more you use, the more you have. Um, so I just want to say thank you for inspiring all of us in the industry with a career that really embodies this notion. And uh, we really can't wait to see what you do next, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, stay creative. We'll keep fighting the good fight. I am trying to get stuff out there. Thanks, man. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much to the great Fernando Machado for being so generous with his time. Thank you, as always, to the executive producer of this podcast, Jeff Fiorello. Huge thanks again to my friends at Personal Music in Miami who made this episode possible. And if you're liking the show, please share it with a friend or colleague. Rate, review, and subscribe. And until we talk again, peace.